Welcome to Clear Thinking, a GPS for the Christian mind, teaching you how to think, not just what to think. This is Joe Aguirre with theologian and philosopher Kenneth Samples and physicist Dave Rogstad. On today's podcast, part two of two on the Old Testament prophet Moses and the New Testament Messiah Jesus. Ken continues his discussion of the important differences between Jews and Christians uh, with apologetic uh, implications. So, Ken, maybe you can give us a brief recap. Uh, hello to both of you guys, by the way. Hope uh, you're doing well. Give us a recap, Ken. Yeah, you bet. It's good to be with you guys. Uh, love clear thinking. Uh, hope to hope to do that my whole life, uh, to be a clear thinker. Um, yeah, in our first program, uh, we covered a, covered a lot of ground. Um, you know, it's it's very tempting, I think, as a Christian, and I, I probably thought this way when I was a, a younger Christian. When I would encounter people who were who were Jews, I I kind of thought, well, all Jews believe exactly the way uh, Jews did in in the Old Testament or at the at the time of Jesus. And what we recognize is that Judaism has has evolved. Um, you know, some people view Judaism uh, as merely an ethnic identity or as, as a culture, uh, as a people group or race. Uh, of course, many people view it as a, a faith or religion. So we talked a little bit about, you know, that that kind of that kind of diversity. And, and of course, uh, you have kind of major denominations uh, within Judaism. You have those who are very religious in their orientation. You have the Orthodox uh, who keep kosher, uh, very very serious about their beliefs and their practices. You even have groups that are that are known, and I don't think I can give you the Hebrew name, but they're the ultra Orthodox. Uh, and then you have very liberal uh, Jews, um, a lot of times both politically and theologically. Where you have Reformed Jews, not Reformed ED, like the Calvinist uh, tradition within Christianity, but Reformed Jews. And they kind of look at Judaism in light of modern society. And many of them, uh, their their connection to Judaism is merely cultural. Uh, it is, it's not religious. And so you have a lot of secular people uh, who, who would somehow identify again with Judaism rather than religion, but more as culture and, and race. And we talked about some of the numbers, um, which I think are kind of mind-boggling when you consider how tiny Judaism is. Uh, you know, uh, we, we mentioned some numbers in, in terms of, uh, you know, 15 million Jews worldwide, 7 million uh, in Israel. Uh, uh, I think it was 6 million in uh, the United States, 15 million as compared to what? H how many Muslims are in the world? Uh, 2 billion moving toward at the middle of the century. The Pew report says likely to 3 billion. Uh, Christianity, the largest religion in the world in terms of numbers. And of course, we're being very inclusive, Catholics, Orthodox, Protestants, non-denominational, all those churches. 2.2, 2.3 billion people. But uh, we also noted last time, uh, Dave, that 
even with this very small population, Jewish people have had uh, a huge influence in education, in law, in science, in, in medicine. I remember reading one time that um, one study indicated that the Jews were considered the most successful minority in the history of America. And, and again, largely because they're a powerhouse in terms of uh, having high profile careers, education, uh, et cetera. Uh, you mentioned last time Albert Einstein, mm. you know, remarkable thing. All right. Well, that's a little bit, uh, that Joe, that's a little bit of what we covered uh, in the initial part of the first program. What I want to do now is to talk more about uh, that significant comparison of looking at Moses uh, and Jesus. And I, I also want to look at how Judaism and Christianity relate to each other. Uh, you know, there there is very significant common ground between Jews and Christians, particularly among uh, religious Jews and religious Christians. The common ground of Jews and Christians would be they're both Middle Eastern religions. Of course, Christianity building coming out of uh, uh, the the shoot of Judaism. Uh, they're in the biblical tradition, uh, monotheistic, even though there are times uh, Jews might accuse Christians of believing in three gods. We we did talk about uh you know, the Shema, Deuteronomy 6, 4, Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Uh, that's consistent with diversity within unity. And, and even, even Jewish theologians are, uh, are at times willing to candidly admit that. And of course, Judaism and Christianity are theistic in orientation. So we're talking about God who is personal. We're talking about God who has all of these uh you know, omni attributes, knows all things, has all power, is everywhere present. And so those are some of the significant uh, common ground elements. We could also talk about other things. Um, obviously, uh, Christians look at the Old Testament and they have, uh, they view it with high regard. It is the word of God. It's part of our Bible. Uh, their Bible is our Bible. Uh, and so we share the Old Testament and these stories. Uh, I, I remember teaching a course on the world's religions, and there was uh, one Jewish fellow who came up to me later, and he said, uh, he's he a Reformed Jew, secular, uh, very liberal theologically, uh, probably politically as well, but he said, uh, I've never heard the word Messiah before. I thought, wow, how, how is that possible? And uh, he even commented, you know, some of these Christians in the class, they know our stories better than I do. Mm -hmm. uh, they're, you know, they take the scriptures as being very serious. But we have the same spiritual ancestry. And, and now here is a, a point that not everybody would agree with. Uh, that we worship the same God. I, I don't know how you get around that. Of course, there's tension there. Um, is God one God one person, or is God one God three persons? 
uh, how are we to think about uh, Yahweh in that kind of uh, concept? Uh, I don't think Christians and Muslims worship the same God. But my inclination is to say, yes, of course, Christians and Jews worship the same God, because our Savior, our Messiah, uh, he is the Jewish Messiah. Uh, he, he, the Son has that relationship to the Father uh, and to the Spirit. And then I, then I think we also can talk about being allies. And again, I'm talking religious Jews, uh, because many of the secular Jews don't necessarily carry some of the same uh, values, but the sacredness of life, uh, the value of, of family. Uh, I'll give you a, a particular example of that. I like to listen to Dennis Prager and Michael Medved. Uh, they are Jewish thinkers. Uh, we may have differing ideas uh, about whether Jesus is the Messiah, but we have very similar ideas about the dignity of, of the unborn. We have, uh, you know, about freedom of speech. Um, those types of things are, we, we share a great deal in common. And so that's some of the common, common ground uh, that, the uh, two religions uh, share. Let me pause again. I want to give you guys an opportunity to ask a question or make a comment before we go a little bit further. Just the uh, comment about the, the, the system of laws that we have that are based on the Judeo-Christian history. Right. Laws of Moses and how important a role they played in the development of what uh, when England is common law and and of course, in in our country is is the uh, constitution and the law that's uh, come out of that. I think that's tells you something very critical there. And I think it's important. You know, I, I often talk about the Christian worldview, but I really am talking about a Jewish Christian worldview. Right. Our, our views of creation. Uh, you know, we we share so many common values. Um, it is. Uh, again, kind of mystifying to me how anti-Semitism could become connected with Christianity at certain periods within its history uh, because of the deep respect and love we have for the Hebrew Bible, uh, for Jesus as the Messiah. Uh, that's, you know, that's very difficult. And, and of course, unfortunately, during the Holocaust, there were... Uh, so-called Christian people who uh, didn't care what happened to the Jews. But there were also Christian people who said, no, um, they want to protect uh, Corey Ten Boom. Look, exactly. look, look at these people that risked so much. Uh, they didn't have to, but they knew they were obligated to. And uh, so those are, you know, those are very controversial um, Questions and ideas. Yeah, Ken, uh, another question. Uh, I wonder if you can repeat what you said about the common ground. One of the elements you said was that we worship the same God. Uh, people know that you are a, a great uh, defender of and, and explicator of the Trinity. Uh, so in what sense uh, do you mean that we worship the same God, just for uh, clarification's sake? Yeah, right. No, I'm glad you asked the question. 
Well, obviously, uh, there's initially, you know, the clash. Well, wait a second. Who is who is Yahweh? Um, you know, with the Trinity, you have one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, how can we say that? Um, I think my comment would be that uh, there are things about uh, Yahweh that uh, have been misunderstood. There are truths in the Old Testament uh, that have been misunderstood. And so uh, the New Testament gives us that fuller revelation. And um, again, people take differing points of view, but I see the Trinity in the Old Testament, not nearly as explicitly as we would find it uh, in the New, but God is revealing himself. God is unveiling himself. And uh, there are things that are implicit in the old that become explicit in the new. Does that help, Joe? Yeah, so uh, insofar as we look to the New Testament, uh, if if we're not Christians, if we look to the New Testament to help explain passages in the old that were not clear on the Trinity, we would find we would find that common ground. Right. Yeah, okay. that's exactly right. And and again, there you can go on. Uh, one uh, person I mentioned last time, Michael Brown, who holds a PhD, I think, in Semitic languages. Uh, very much a bold, outspoken person for um, his mess, his Jewish messianic views, but his biblical views about values. He's debated many people in the air in uh, among Jews and has said, "Look, uh, you're you're missing in our Hebrew scriptures references to the uh, the diversity within the unity of God," and so. Not everybody would agree uh, with that, but I, I think it. I think it's an important topic, and I think the Bible clearly does teach uh, the doctrine of of the Trinity. Okay, well let's let's go a little bit further. Um, I want to talk a little bit about. Uh, I want to talk a little bit ab about Israel. I want to talk a little bit about uh, Judaism. You know, we, we mentioned that uh, Judaism is a small religion, a tiny religion, just a, a, a small number. And then, of course, those who believe in the Messiah, uh, the remnant, you might say, I mean, the Apostle Paul who was himself a rabbi, a Jew, uh, saw Jesus as the, the divine Messiah, initially was in opposition to him um, in Romans 9 through 11. Uh, Paul talks about, you know, God is not done with the Jews. And so there is plenty of discussion uh, in theological Christian circles about what's God's relationship to Israel? What's God's relationship to the church? Has the church replaced Israel? What, what about the land and, and, and these issues? Those are, those are some heated uh, debates. Um, but let me talk a little bit about the Holy Land. We're talking here about the idea of, uh, again, a, a small land. Um, uh, what is it? the promised land, the Holy Land? It is 50 miles wide, 150 miles in length. In length. I mean, I'm looking at a map here. 
uh, Israel compared with these other large nations that are dominated by Islam. Uh, and of course, this, this has been this question of the Jews returning to Israel. It's a controversial historical question. It's a controversial theological question. Uh, but this is the Middle East. This is the strategic crossroads of, of East and West. And so in many ways, um, you know, the, the challenges politically, uh, military issues, uh, Israel right in the middle of all of this. And so we, we, see, its, we see its deep influence. Let's talk a bit more uh, about the Hebrew Bible. Uh, the Hebrew Bible is called the Tanakh. A lot of Christians are, are not aware of that. Uh, and the Hebrew Bible, the Tanakh, has 24 books. Now, wait a second here. Um, you know, my, my Old Testament has 39 books. How is it that Tanakh, the Hebrew Bible, has 24 books, but it ends up in the Christian Bible as being 39 well, because they're organized differently. Um, you uh, have the Torah. You, you have a division of three parts of the Old Testament. You have the Torah, the, the book of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, uh, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Um, you have then another area of the Hebrew Bible, the Nebium, the prophets. The former prophets would include people like Joshua, Judges, Samuel, Kings. We have these various uh, books. And so you see singular books. You have the later prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, the book of the 12 prophets. Uh, and so you, you, see some of, uh, you see some of these kind of uh, differences in, in that context. So they're laid out differently. You mentioned the, the Torah, the law. We see the five books, but for for the Jewish Bible, it's the Book of Moses, and so yeah. on. Okay. Yes, exactly. And uh, you know, you can you can think about the uh, the the Torah again, the significance of the law given uh, by God through Moses to the Hebrew people. Uh, then the the prophets, uh, and then the Kethuvim, the the writings. Uh, I think these are. I, I want to say something about the, the Kethubim, the writings, the poetic wisdom literature. And so we're talking uh, Psalms and Proverbs, uh, Job. Uh, I remember J.I. Packer, uh, the great uh, Presbyterian Anglican Reformed theologian. Um, Packer said that, you know, the, the Psalms, they, they teach us how to live and how to worship and the Proverbs give us practical advice about daily life. And so here we see those uh, that Hebrew wisdom literature that has such a strong influence uh, on Jews uh, and uh, Christians. And of course, uh, you know, other books, Daniel, uh, Ezra, Nehemiah, Chronicles. Uh, so we have those three divisions and they're laid out differently. Um, and so the 24 are the 39, uh, as, as we see them. Mm -hmm. oh, okay. Comments, questions about the Hebrew Bible, then maybe a little bit more of discussion about, uh, about Judaism and Christianity and Jesus and Moses. Sounds good. Okay. Let's, uh, 
let's then talk about you know some some of these ideas. Um, obviously, uh, um, you know we can we can ask questions about about Judaism. The branches within Judaism believe that human nature is either neither neutral, orthodox, nor good, conservative, reformed. Um, it's very tempting, I think, to think as a Christian that if you're a Jew, you believe exactly the way people did in the Old Testament period. But the reality is that uh, Judaism has evolved. And for some of these groups, they believe that human nature is good, or maybe it's just neutral. Well, what about this question of the fall? What about that sinful component? I think there's a lot of data in the Old Testament that indicates the, the fallen nature. But again, uh, Judaism has evolved in that, that way. So it's sometimes very different when you talk with a, a modern Jew, be very different than maybe what you would hear from um, Blaise Pascal, who would say that human beings are an enigma of greatness and wretchedness, greatness because of the Imago Dei, wretchedness because of the fall. Modern Jews have very differing ideas uh, in, you know, that that kind of uh, of context. Um, and so we've talked a little bit about uh, about human nature. Uh, I have a comment uh, to make. Uh, I, I may have mentioned this in the past, but uh, my wife and I and our family uh, had the opportunity to live in Holland for a couple of years. This was back in 1969 and 70. Uh, in that uh, environment, we had opportunity to meet a lot of different people from different countries. And we made friends of this Israeli couple. He was a doctor who uh, was uh, there in Holland to uh, you know, do some research for a couple of years and like ourselves would go back to their country of origin. Um, it just was interesting talking to him about his Judaism, that he was... Uh, in Israel, prior to the 67 war, he was a very secular Jew. But after the war, uh, the war was such an amazing thing, that 67 war favoring uh, Israel, that he, uh, he decided maybe there was something to this belief in God, that God somehow was playing a role in the survival of Israel. And so they began to be more uh, attentive to some of the dietary rules and so on. But one of the most important things to this couple was not so much that they were following the rules and the laws of Judaism, but that they were living in Israel. That that, that was a great uh, benefit to them in uh, how they were uh, thinking about what God thought of them. Uh, they had some friends who were living, who were also Jewish and much more legalistic following the dietary laws and all of the other laws in Judaism, but they were living in Holland permanently. And he looked down on this other person. Well, they both looked down on each other. The, the, uh, the more orthodox Jew looked at our friends as, as uh, being rather liberal and uh, not really following the, you know, the truths of their religion. While the uh, the friends of ours looked down on the other guy because he wasn't living in Israel, 
<laughs> and I just thought it was a, a very interesting uh, tension that was between these two groups within the Israeli community. One other thing that I found interesting was in, in discussions that I had with him about Christianity, he made a point, uh, which I, I don't agree with, but I didn't have the presence of mind to answer it properly at the time. And that was that he said, you Christians, you make a great emphasis on humility and that humility is a very important uh, component or virtue within your religion. But that's not true of Judaism. Now, if I were to speak to him now, I would point him to some of the Proverbs that, uh, that uh, have a different view on that. But at the time, I didn't. I just thought that was an interesting thing, that that view that he had, that humility wasn't a critically important virtue to develop in his life. Yeah, I, I, I think uh, I think this comes back, Dave, again to the idea that it it's it's very tempting on our part to kind of view Judaism in that very uh, religious Old Testament context and to to not appreciate that there are different denominations and that Judaism has changed. I mean, after the, the second temple is destroyed, uh, you know, how how is it that Judaism changes? Uh, is it no longer a religion of sacrifice? You know, uh, there are occasions when I listen to Dennis Prager and, you know, he will say, well, yeah, Jews and Christians have a lot in common, but, uh, uh, you know, in Judaism, it is about, say, your standing before God rests in your actions, how you live. And, uh, you know, I want to I push back and say, wait a second, uh, I think we need to understand all of that in the light of the grace of God, the, the sacrifice of Christ. And so there, there are those uh, differing positions. Um, I'd say humility is an awfully difficult thing to hold on to. Every time I think I've got it, it slips through my fingers. And uh, I'm back to one of the seven deadly sins of yeah. pride. And so, yeah. You think you have it, you don't. <laughs> yeah, that, you know, that's, that's uh, exactly right. Um, uh, well, what would you like to, what do you want to spend this last part of the program doing? Do you want to, you want to focus a little bit more on, um, uh, you know, re the relationship of Moses to Jesus, or would you like to talk, a, want to emphasize a bit more questions about, um, uh, about Judaism and Christianity? I think you were doing good on this uh, comparison of of the uh, Judaism with Christianity. I'd like you to continue. Yeah. And as you do so, uh, I think it would be helpful to know the end goal. That is, uh, uh, Christianity uh, talks about an atonement and salvation uh, through Christ. Uh, how is the Jewish person uh, presented before a holy God? So I think that would be a good question to answer. Yeah, that's, you know, that's right at the right at the heart. I mean, as much as we have in common, religious Jews and, and, and believing Christians, 
the reality is that, you know, we view Christ as uh, the only Savior, uh, that his death is that uh, sacrifice for sins. Uh, Jesus is uh, the prophet, the priest, and the king. He functions in all of those ways in the ministry. He's the one mediator. Uh, it, it uh, you know, good works, if you want to speak of it that way, or the transformation of our nature, sanctification in a Christian context, uh, it always flows from grace. It's the fruit of grace. It's not something that, that, that saves a person. And Joe, I would say that it's important to realize that there's always been a remnant of Jews. Uh, even at the time of Jesus, there was a remnant uh, of those in Israel who supported Jesus. I mean, the primitive early church was was a Jewish community, but at the same time, there was that formal condemnation by so many of the religious leaders. I think in terms of salvation, uh, again, these are controversial ideas, but in terms of Romans uh, 9 through 11, uh, even the Reformed theologian, uh, oh boy, his name just just popped out of my uh, my memory here and popped out of my my thinking. Uh, he he is a, a leading thinker, taught at Calvin College. I'll think I'll think of his name here in just a minute. But in his book Saved by Grace, he said that Anthony Hukema. Anthony Hukema, that wonderful Dutch name. Um, I was part of a Dutch Reformed church and. Uh, some of the old Dutch folks would come up and correct my pronunciation of these uh, of names. Anthony Hukema, I call him Hokema. Yeah. And, um, in his books, uh, Saved by Grace, he says, look, uh, there is going to be a remnant and there'll be people, there'll be Jews who will who will be saved, uh, you know, in the in the eschaton as as the age moves forward. So these are these are very important questions, um, and it's I, th I think it's important to be able to uh, to talk to Jewish people uh, about Jesus, about his identity, about his death, his resurrection. Uh, but it's also important, I think, to appreciate that um, uh, you know we can't just we can't just set aside. Uh, the Jewish background of Jesus, and uh, that we understand um, that we understand his role uh, as the Messiah, as as fulfilling um, what we see in the Old Testament. So, yeah, important. important. Another another uh, question or uh, yeah thought along those lines is you mentioned that the global population is about fifteen million, which is tiny in comparison to Christianity and Islam, yet there could be uh, six million in the United States, uh, which is, you know, a pretty, pretty substantial number. So anybody in a metropolitan area, certainly Los Angeles or New York, you're yeah. going to have uh, interactions with uh, uh, Jews, uh, either personally or at least online. I wonder what you might think, uh, let's say, somebody does share some of those values that you mentioned earlier, and uh, you're discussing, oh, let's say pro-life issues or the decline of, of morality in this country. Um, how, how would you go about, if you sense that there's a 
door open for further discussion. Uh, what, how would you go about uh, inviting that person to investigate Christianity, assuming that they don't have a whole lot of knowledge of, of what the faith entails? Well, I I like the way you, I like your early comments about, um, you know, there are parts of America where there is uh, significantly large Jewish populations. You mentioned Los Angeles, New York. Um, you know, when you when you bump into a person who identifies himself as as a Jew, you I think you do want to you want to try to figure out where is this person coming from? Are they religious Jew? Uh, or are they non-religious Jew? Um, you know, they may have very different political views based upon how they think about these ideas. And they may have uh, very, very liberal views about, uh, you know, abortion and things of that nature. I think, I think again, um, when we talk to Jewish people about Jesus, about Jesus being the Messiah, about his being a savior. I remember I was uh, not long ago, uh, I was on, I think it was, uh, I, I, boy, Twitter, Facebook, they all kind of run together after, after a while. But I was talking with a Jewish lady and um, uh, there, was a, there was a fellow who made a, made a comment. I think it was after one of the, the, the school shootings. And it, he was a pastor. I think he was a Mennonite pastor. And he said, you know, Christianity and guns don't, don't uh, uh, you know, they, they don't go together. And, uh, you know, he, um, I'm trying to remember exactly the way, the way he put it. But, I, you know, I said to him, look, um, not knowing that this Jewish lady was uh, listening, I said, you know, there, there have been times where Christianity and guns came together. Um, you know, the Holocaust, um, those camps were liberated by largely Christian men. Um, I'm not saying that all of them were committed Christians, but you know, you have lots of Americans and Brits and Russians, Russian Orthodox and Anglicans and evangelicals, and uh, they liberated the camps. And, uh, you know, they were Christians who carried guns. And uh, sometimes there's, uh, there's a need. And uh, the Jewish lady was, she was really taken aback. She goes, I'm just deeply offended that you would ever put together the idea of Christianity and guns in the context of, of Jews. And so we had a, you know, we had a talk about the Holocaust. Uh, we, I mentioned that one of the uh, infantry divisions that my father was part of for part of the Second World War, the 95th Infantry Division, liberated um, a Jewish concentration camp. And I said, I said to the lady, uh, um, I said, you know, that, that was something that was deeply uh, transformative in my father's life, you know, to, to see that kind of suffering, uh, to see uh, people who were victimized. Um, you know, it, it gave him a sense that now I know I'm what, what I'm fighting for. Now I know why I'm here. Uh, the Nazis have engaged in a real evil. And, uh, you know, I, I wanted to, I wanted to encourage her. I wanted to communicate to her, you know, that 
that Christian, there are many Christian people um, who, who see Jews as valuable people, uh, that that faith is incredibly important to us and that we, we feel a deep sense of gratitude uh, toward Jews. And uh, she wasn't having a lot of it. You know, she, she mentioned other times, she said, look, yeah, you, you're right. Uh, there were Christians who hid us during the Holocaust, but there are also Christians who turned us in. And, uh, you know, so it's, it's difficult. It's difficult when those kinds of issues come up to know how to, you know, to navigate those kinds of issues. But uh, Joe, it does give us an opportunity to talk about Jesus, to talk about, uh, to talk about the problem of sin, uh, to talk about the person of Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection, uh, you know, his uniqueness as the son of God. Yeah, that gives us an opportunity to, to have, I hope, you know, some good dialogue. Plus, uh, you could also include in discussions with people that you just mentioned, uh, the idea of hypocrisy. Uh, there are two kinds of hypocrites, as you've written before in blogs. Uh, hypocrites with a capital H are people who say one thing but do the other. People with a small h know uh, what to do and they strive to do it, but they fall short. Uh, that happens to us all the time. What's your comment on that? Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, I think that's, you know, I think it's so important. I mean, when you look at the so-called dark side of Christianity, um, you know, you, you, have, you have people who identify themselves as Christians, uh, but they seem to live a double life. Whereas, you know, the average uh, Christian, they, they know they're not perfect. They, they, they realize uh, they are hypocritical, but they, um, you know, they confess it to the Lord. They repent of it. Uh, they don't live double lives. Uh, they, they try to come to grips with uh, their, their failures and their mistakes. And so, yeah, I think that that's a, that's a very important point. And, you know, a lot of times people do appreciate uh, that point of view, although, although Christendom gets a really bad name. Um, and unfortunately, I, I think, and as I've written about in my book, Christianity Cross-Examined, um, so often the, uh, the so-called dark side, you know, the hypocrites with a capital H, they get all the attention and the the actions of true Christians uh, and their deep commitment to living a moral life, uh, you know, the benefits that Christendom has provided uh, don't get the same attention. I uh, have a kind of a question of a different nature. Uh, today we have a country in which Jews live. Half, roughly half of the Jews in the world live in Israel. And uh, there's many in the evangelical community that strongly support Israel. Uh, there is within the more traditional uh, mainline denominational churches that actually uh, uh, are antagonistic against Israel. Do you have any uh, sort of comments on, uh, on that tension that exists within the Christian community? Well, I, th I think you're accurate. Um... I think what you stated is uh, what I've experienced as I watch the news and hear people 
Um, you know, when they look at the uh, the Palestinian um, Jewish controversy about uh, the land of Israel, um, I, I, I think I think it's been very interesting, Dave, that people in the Jewish community have picked up on the idea that there are lots of evangelicals who are very pro-Israel, that are that are very supportive, um, and uh, you know. We talked about, uh, you know, some of those wars there in the 60s, uh, the remarkable things that uh, the the uh, Jewish army was able to able to do. Yeah, I I, I think that's right. I, I think that um, in the more liberal context, uh, there is very much a view that, you know, um, the, the, the Palestinians have a legitimate beef with Israel and Israel isn't really negotiating with them or taking it into account. And uh, I think uh, what's interesting, Dave, is, you know, um, as a student of World War II, I, I think the Jewish people realize that, look, um, we can't count on people coming in to rescue us. We have to, we have to fight our own battles. And, um, you know, I I think your depiction of it is uh, is accurate, and obviously, politics and religion are not necessarily the same thing. But you know, I think I think you've called it correctly. Uh, Ken, yeah. another another question here. Um, you've used this idea in conjunction with adherence of Islam when it comes to uh, God's love. Uh, that is, the question is, who did uh, Allah love in eternity before he created the world? So I guess you could ask the same question of Yahweh. Who did Yahweh love in eternity before he created the world? That's exactly right. I mean, I remember, boy, it's been a number of years uh, ago, but Hugh and I had a, a Zoom meeting with two Jewish fellows, and uh one of the one of the Jewish fellow was uh, one man was um, a religious Jew. The other was a secular Jew, and uh, they were very interested in in RTB's point of view, the the science Bible types of things. They were loquacious. Hugh and I, as introverts, hardly got a word in edgewise. Uh, but at the end, we decided like, hey, I want to leave you with some thoughts. You leave me with some thoughts and maybe we'll maybe we'll connect again. So I, you know, I asked them the question. I said, look, uh, traditional Judaism believes that uh, that Yahweh is one God, one person. Um, how do you address the question of who would Yahweh love in eternity before he created human beings and, and angels? And it was almost a miracle because they uh, it, the room was silent. Um, and the, one of them said to me, you know, nobody ever asked me that question before. I, I, I don't know how I would how I would really respond to that question. But I think it's a, I think it's a powerful question. Uh, Joe and Dave, you know that I I think that is a very important element that uh, the the diversity of persons within the unity of God's nature uh, 
gives me the analogy of like a loving family. Uh, the triune God doesn't have to create in order to fulfill himself or to get love. Rather, at the creation, that that love within the members of the Trinity flow out upon all people. And uh, the New Testament says on two occasions in 1 John that God is love. Not, not that he uh, can be loving, but that he is love. And uh, I, th I think that's a that's a critical point. Um, I think that I think that illustrates the the practical importance of the doctrine of the Trinity. That I have been adopted into a a loving family, and that includes the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, uh, who all share that one divine essence equally. And so, uh, the three persons are the one God. Yeah. So uh, in uh, I've heard you or I know you've written about this uh, and I'd be int interested here for our listeners sake. The challenge for at least in the context of Islam is that uh, Allah does not need anything. Uh, he's great. But if there's no one to love, was he dependent on the creation? Did he have to create in order to share that love? So uh, I'm probably not saying it correctly, but no, you, you know what I'm getting at. Yeah, you. I think you've articulated it correctly, um, right on target. The, the The question is, you know, look at the 99 names for God. Uh, he's called the loving. Now, I, I don't read Arabic, but I read people who do understand Arabic. And it seems uh, the loving is a giving love, a generous love, rather than I'm going to sit in front of the, the mirror and be narcissistic, that kind of thing. So on one hand, um, we're told that Allah is the loving God, but if he's alone in eternity, um, who does he have to love? Now, uh, one uh, Muslim imam I talked with on, on the web, I asked him that question. It's pretty thoughtful, uh, gave me deeper answers than I've received in other places. He says, well, all that means is that that Allah has, uh, he, he has kind of uh, an intention to love, but it's, it's not actualized until, you know, it comes out a little bit later. And I said, well, I don't, you know, I don't think that's an adequate response. Um, I, I think love is something that has to be given. And uh, I, of course, uh, I, I make the point there that you're right, there's a tension here. How can, how can Allah on one hand be sovereign and on the other hand uh, be loving when, when, it, when it appears that he, in order to, for him to fulfill himself, he has to create. So it, it, uh, it conflicts with his so-called sovereignty. And uh, I don't think that there, I don't think I've heard a good answer to that. And uh, I, I think it is, uh, it is again, something that makes the Trinity exciting. I mean, you know, we, we live in a world, Joe and Dave, where there's a lot of loneliness, uh, where people feel like uh, I, I don't fit in or I'm, I'm not part of it. I always think of the Trinity, that uh, this is a God who loves me. Uh, they didn't have to create in order to get love, but love flows out of it. And uh, 
You know, I, I think that there are internal problems with the idea of a single solitary God. Um, now, again, in the Old Testament, uh, that revelation comes slowly. Um, but I think the backdrop of the Old Testament is Trinitarian, New Testament, explicitly Trinitarian. And um, so there are times where I, I like to hear Jewish people say, well, you know, uh, our scriptures don't necessarily mitigate against the Trinity. And so, yeah, those are, those are great issues. I've written on it, and uh, I plan to continue to ask those questions. Wonderful. All right. Well, this has been great stuff. Uh, Dave, I don't know if you have any other questions. Oh, I, we could go on for a long time talking. <laughs> I mean, a question that uh, is often coming to my mind and in relationship of discussing Jews and what's going on in the world is, you know, why why have the Jews gone through a Holocaust? Yeah. I mean, I can, you know, you can point to other groups of people that hate one another and want to destroy one another, but anti-Semitism seems to be far more ubiquitous than um, than you find these other hate groups uh, having towards one another. And why, why, why were the Jews? And it to me, the answer seems to be somehow related to the fact that they're God's chosen people. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it and it seems to me that the level of prejudice and bias and um, it's so strong. Uh, and, you know, you think about the Holocaust. I mean, it's hard to get your mind around that. It's it's yes. hard to it's hard to know how how do I navigate with such great suffering. Um, but I, I I think, Dave, that uh, there is an element of anti-Semitism that is demonic. Mm -hmm. It's not it's not just coming out of the human heart, although human beings and their fallen condition can commit great evils. But I, I see anti-Semitism as something that has deeper roots. Yeah. Uh, Ken, you, you've mentioned some uh, reading resources and yes. uh, part of uh, your uh, way of presenting ideas is to uh, adopt the golden rule. Uh, know the other view before you're going to critique it. And I think you did a good job of giving us some resources. If you could uh, repeat a couple of those books, at least, I think it'd yeah. be helpful. Yeah, I, I, I think it's uh, I think it's very important to to read what, uh, you know, when you disagree with someone and you have very strong disagreements, it's important not just to read the critiques, but it's important to read what other people believe, to be faithful. Uh, I have found two books that are quite readable. They're, they're introductory type level. Uh, and in those books, there are further recommendations. Uh, one book is entitled Basic Judaism by Rabbi Milton Steinberg. Uh, it is available on Amazon. Um, that'll give you a good introduction by uh, a, a a rabbi who can give you the straight scoop. And then uh, another book by someone that I have a lot of admiration for, uh, enjoy listening to him. Uh, Dennis Prager and Joseph Telushkin uh, have a very interesting book um, entitled The Nine Questions People Ask About Judaism. 
And uh, so it's important to read what other people believe. I, I get I get disturbed when, you know, I watch a, a program and they describe Christianity and it, it doesn't even sound like the Christianity I believe in. It's very mm-hmm. liberal or, uh, you know, they they projected as as, you know, uh, hate speech or something like that. And I say, well, that's that's not the that's not the Christianity I know. Uh, I I immediately want to be able to say, why don't you read some classic Christian materials? So those are two uh, very readable books that'll give you some understanding of Judaism. There are also uh, some other books. One is by Houston Smith. And I, I really think Houston Smith was a very significant world religion scholar. What I like about his book is he's very careful uh, he's sympathetic to the religions. Uh, you know, it seems like almost every religion, he writes about it in such a way that he wants to give the the uh, the good side. Uh, but I, I think he's doing that to, to let people uh, recognize that, hey, here's what here's what the people who believe this uh, think. So give Houston Smith. He has a great chapter on Judaism, great chapter on Islam and some of the other religions. And then, of course, uh, our friend, um, Wen Corzian, a last name C-O-R-D-U-A-N, Winfred Corzian, uh, has written uh, a major book uh, entitled uh, Neighboring Faiths, A Christian Introduction to the World's Religion. Get the second edition that's quite expanded. And he's also got a little book that uh, I keep on my desk here. Uh, the Pocket Guide to the World's Religions, uh, that's published. B- both of Corgin's books are published by InterVarsity. All right. Some great stuff there. Thank you. This has been very helpful to me, Ken, and I trust for uh, our listeners as well. All right. Let us know your comments and questions. You can reach out to Ken via Twitter at RTB underscore K samples. We'll be glad to read your comment here. Get clear thinking sent to your device by subscribing for the Reasons to Believe podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, and most podcast services. That's going to wrap it up for Ken Samples and Dave Rogstad. This is Joe Aguirre with a reminder that the goal of apologetics is not victory, but truth. Thanks for listening and join us for the next edition of Clear Thinking. Thank you for listening. Your prayers and financial support are reaching people with reasons for faith in Jesus Christ our Creator and Savior. To allow Reasons to Believe programs like this to continue, make your gift today at Reasons.org.